We'll get started on our class, so we have a prayer. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for today, Father, for, for the beauty of summer, for the, the ease and the comfort that we have. Father, I thank you for your mercy, your love. Father, you are compassion. Father, you're compassionate. You love us. You care for us. You watch over us. And you forgive us, Father, because we are so in need of forgiveness. We give you thanks for your word. And as we go through this, I ask your blessing upon us as we listen, as we learn, and as we question what we, what we read here. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your church, the gift of your Son, who gave us life and life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we, we um, looked at Joel 2, 28 through 32. Uh, there's a, and uh, I, I went at length uh, on a whole lot of things, subjects on that, but as we, as we run around on that one, uh, first of all is to remember that Peter quotes this as the, you might say, his, his introduction to his Pentecost sermon. And he said that what you're seeing now, which is the believers filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues, is what Joel said in Joel 2, 28-32. Uh, and he starts out with the, begin, with the outpouring of the Spirit onto the people, uh, not just priests or rulers, but everyone. And, when, and uh, we went into how, even though Peter's view of it at the beginning, at that time of that sermon, and uh, I don't want to make it sound like Peter was wrong, I think the Spirit was leading him to use it to the Jews as, as though we were saying, speaking to the Jews and Jews alone. Peter certainly, I think, proves later on that he did not, as did the rest of the church, understand when God said all, he meant all. And so through the Spirit, God leads him very gently to that recognition that not only it's the Jews, Peter, but it's the Gentiles as well. Uh, and that's not to say that Peter, that uh, what Peter said was wrong. It's just that I think that uh, uh, his audience was Jews, and that the Spirit led him to use this uh, in the in the language of of uh, speaking to Jews. And as a matter of fact, we know that the the uh, we know that the church wasn't ready for the Gentiles to come in. And when it was only when uh, Peter uh, had gone, had been, had a vision from God, and then had gone to see Cornelius, and the Spirit fell on them, just as it had on the day of Pentecost, it fell on the Gentiles, so he realized that, just like us, we can baptize in the, God is accepting them into the church. Uh, we also mentioned that, uh, that this is saying, the Spirit is going to fall on all, and not only on all, he lists uh, who it is, men, women, your sons, daughters, old men, young men, uh, servants, both men and women. women. And so we, we briefly went off on what does that mean today? And I'm not going to spend much time other than to say that there's a lot of questions 
that that raises. If a woman were, for instance, were to suddenly have a, a vision from God, would we allow her in our Sunday service to praise God by giving that vision? Uh, there's a lot of lot of questions about that, and I, and I didn't mention the young, the, the, the your sons and daughters. What if our teens were to do that, were to have a vision, or have a have a uh, have a prophecy to bring? And how do we open that up? What does what does that mean? But we don't want to go too much on that, uh, other than to say that uh, at the right after that. After speaking that, when he gets to uh, verse 30, he starts, starts using very apocalyptic language. Uh, he's looking, and I think he's looking at end times, and 32, uh, and we find that, don't worry, all those who fall, call on the name of the Lord are going to be saved. So, now we go into the third chapter, which to me is, is uh, uh, difficult to interpret, as most prophecies are, most end-time prophecies are. So let's get started. That the chapter, this chapter of Joel, uh, leads into uh, the final prophecy, or prophecies, if you want to look at look at that is two, but I think it's one really, of what's going to happen at the end times. And the wording implies that uh, it's occurring right after the prophecy uh, from 2832. Uh, it comes right on there in, these, in those days and at that time. So time is a, is a difficult thing to kick around with God because uh, his concept of time and ours are very different. Uh, but nonetheless, He's looking at this as almost concurrent. And so we have uh, the apocalyptic language that's being put out. Uh, and I'd like to look at that a little bit. Uh, the wording of the prophecy implies that it's, it's uh, proceeding right after the uh, end of chapter 2. Uh, verses 20 to, uh, 30 and 31 of chapter 2 um, are very interesting language, apocalyptic language. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we have the day of the Lord approaching, and that's what chapter, the end of chapter 2 is talking about, but the language of this implies to me a little bit of what what the judgment is that you're seeing in chapter three. With that, I'd like to just look at chapter at Luke 21 uh, and chapter verses 30 and 31. And I chose Luke because I chose Luke. Um, it, it's repeated. Uh, in the gospel, throughout the Gospels, it's uh, when, when he's speaking of the end times. Uh, remember, in verse in chapter uh, 21, they're talking about uh, the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. And in 20, verse 21, 
excuse me, verse 30, uh, Jesus states, uh, when they, uh, make sure I have the right chapter here, 10 and 10, 11, thank you. Uh, verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in, the various, in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. And he's speaking of end times. Uh, also, it, the other Gospels have similar language to them. Very reminiscent of what Joel is using in, uh, in the uh, 31st verse of, uh, of Joel 2. Uh, of Joel 2. So if we go back, so it looks very much to me, and it it could be it depends upon them, upon how you look at it. But it looks to me as though we're seeing uh, the end times, the final judgment, the final day of the Lord, the one we usually when we speak of the day of the Lord, what we usually think of, rather than just a day of judgment that may have happened a hundred times, two hundred times, or how many ever. Uh, earlier, that where God is judging His people or judging other nations. So, Ted, how can you tell that it's not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Because the, these were that's a good question, and uh, that's that comes down to the question of when the uh, when this was written. And the answer is to when it was written is nobody knows, but there's lots of guesses. And it's over only about a four or five hundred year range that those guesses come in. Uh, I'm taking this uh, along the lines of at the after the destruction of the first temple and after the building of the second temple, uh, and because of the the language in it about uh, you're going to have the you have priests, you have a temple, but there's no mention of a king. A uh, lot of a lot of supposition, but from that that standpoint, I it doesn't. I don't want to take it. Or I don't think it's talking about the Babylonians. That said, we look at the. If you look in chapter two, when he starts speaking of the of how the swarm comes in, he uses military language. It's like an army coming in, marching in rows, coming through, and they and they you've got green verdant land and in front of them, and when they pass through, it's total destruction. That could be Babylon. Well, I was talking about AD 70. AD 70? When the Romans came in. Oh, that one. <laughs> yes. Um, he could be talking about that. Um, I'm not sure that in you go into Matthew, or the gospel, any of the Gospels, when Jesus is saying, okay, the destruction of the temple, and he's, but the apocalyptic language, he shifts it around. It's very, very confusing in that area. But I, I think there's two apocalypses he's talking about in the Gospels. One is the destruction of the temple, and the second is my return. And Matthew, he's, he, he, uh, you see his return and what's going to happen at the day of judgment. Um, it's hard to say. I think I understood what you just said, and if, you, if I did, then I would agree with what you're saying. That I, I lean towards what I think you're saying—a double fulfillment. That 
what Peter is saying in Acts 2, what Joel is talking about is happening right now. Yeah. In that day. And then Jesus says, what I'm telling you right now is going to happen in this generation. Which I believe is talking about that generation. But then you read it and you see some of that apocalyptic literature. And it sure seems as though it, it has a fulfillment for the Israelites and the people in the first century. But then it has a reflection of the future day of the Lord. Um, so I, I, I see it playing out in two different Yeah, and there's as a, there's a, there's a lot of difficulties from the standpoint of uh, is the is are we talking the destruction of the temple, the second temple? Um, certainly, certainly, when you get to the third chapter, we're looking at the restoration of the Jewish nation. Is that today? I think the Zionists would say yes. And the Zionists are saying, yes, we've been restored. We're waiting for that final day of judgment in the, uh, in the environs of, uh, of, of uh, Jerusalem. They may be right. I'm not sure. But I think that Peter using this, the previous verses, for his kickoff on his Pentecost sermon, implies that this has not to do so much with the Jews as it does God's people. And if you remember, and we'll, we'll just look at that, uh, I take it more of when he says in the first um, verses, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, or when I bring them back, um, that sounds like the Jews only. However, if we go to Romans, for instance, uh, and I um, don't want to jump there, but I'll just, other than to say that uh, uh, that Paul says that all believers, those who believe in Christ, it's the believers who call upon the Lord, they will be saved. And he goes in, in Romans the ninth chapter, uh, and so I guess I will turn, will turn to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is part of a long dissertation about what's going to happen with the Jews in Christ as God abandoned the Jews. If my fingers would work. There we go. And he's, he's talking about, uh, and I speak the truth and I'm not lying and my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for a wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. And that's the beginning of a long, uh, long section. But if we go to verse... Uh, Eight, he says, in other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Uh, not only that, but Rebecca's children, and he goes on, continues on so he's looking at God's people 
not being just the Jews, but being, uh, but being ever, but being all those who call upon the name of the Lord, that is Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord. They are the ones who are going to be saved. And so when we look at chapter three, I think when we see the restoring of Judah and Jerusalem, I think we're really. Um, I, I like to take that in a more spiritual sense as uh, the, the restoration through the church and Jerusalem just being the, you might say, the capital, if you want. In those days and at that time, I'll restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and then I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means uh the Lord judges. The nations will be brought down to the to the valley of Jehoshaphat, uh, and I don't know again whether this is literal or figurative. Uh, the uh, note I have is uh, concerning that it would imply that it's it's probably around Jerusalem, but then we're getting into prophecy and to figurative language and it's hard to when you get something that we want to consider as figurative it's you don't want to switch back and forth between literal and figurative if it's figurative it's figurative if it's literal it's literal so if it's literal it gets even more confusing but if it's figurative we're looking at the final judgment and it's going to be in the valley of the lord's judgment the lord judging and he then brings, and uh, I will put them on trial there, uh, for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls for wine to drink. Then he goes on and he gets very specific, which again makes it difficult, but uh, who are Israel? and Judah's enemies. Well, Tyre, Sidon, uh, Philistia, uh, Edom, and he mentions them. Now, what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly impede and, and I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. So he's bringing before them what they had done to the people of Israel. Now, if this is figurative, then we're looking at uh, this, the nations around us, how they persecuted the church, and, and, what, and that God is now uh, punishing them. See, I'm going to rouse uh, them up. Oh, that, we'll get that later. So, at any rate, he's he's looking at at, at the uh, sins that Tyre and Sidon, Philistia, and he doesn't mention Edom, which is interesting because he almost always mentions Edom. Um, but if you but just to go back, remember when we were when we were looking at Lamentations, how in the first Lamentation. Jerusalem cries out to God, may you bring the day you've announced so that they may become like me. 
And again in Lamentation 3, pay back what they deserve, Lord, for what they have un- done and what they have on their, what their hands have done. And Lamentations 4, but he will punish your sin, daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. Here in, in Joel 3, we see judgment on the neighbors of Israel. And I think that's very difficult to, to look at too figuratively, but I think it still has to be that we're looking at nations that have sinned against the church. And whether it's these nations or others. Now it's uh, important then to, uh, as he goes on, um, to recognize this. Now he then brings in uh, the rest of the nations. See, I'm going to rouse. I'm going to rouse them out of the, the places to which you sold them, and return on your own heads, which you have done. I will send your sons and daughters to the people of Judah. They will sell them to the Sabians. I'm not sure where the Sabians are. I always thought that was uh, around near Rome, or the area around Rome, but a nation far away. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. It's sort of the opposite of uh, in Isaiah where they speak of peace, that you're going to take your, your swords and uh, beat them into plowshares and uh, spears into pruning hooks. But it's the opposite. Now, take those, uh, recover those swords, recover those spears, and let the weakling say, I am strong. <clears throat> Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. So the Lord is going to begin a war against all the nations. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all nations on every side, swinging the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the wine press is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Now, if I'm, a, if I'm reading this as uh, someone who has been oppressed, beaten down, uh, whether it's by Tyre or Sidon, or uh, whether it's uh, in today's world, think of the people of Bosnia, for instance, and ethnic cleansing, or if you like the, the wars currently going on in the Middle East, where Christians are being slaughtered simply because they will not, they would not uh, uh, forsake Christ's name. Um, how would you feel? How would you feel in this day as God is finally judging all the nations? What would you say? What would, you, what would, be, your, what would be your first thought? Anybody? Well, there's hope. Hope? Good. You're being kind. You're being kind. I know what I would say. It's about time. Yeah. There's hope and the temptation just to give up and walk away from God and walk away from my faith and throw in the towel. So no way. It's kind of like the book of Revelation. It's going to be hard. Just hold on because 
God is going to step in and he's going to make this right. But for a while, it's going to be hard until he does. And so it makes me want to keep going. Yeah, keep going, fight. It's about time. Finally, Lord, we're going to be, we're going to receive the, uh, the, our reward, you might say. And they're going to receive their reward. Um, and so, like any people that's been oppressed, this is wonderful news of hope and joy. And for the, for the church, this should be joy. Uh, revelation. What did we, we had all the martyrs surrounding the throne. And I think they were saying pretty much, how long, Lord? How much longer do we have to wait? Well, here it is. Joel's telling him, in this case, the Lord is coming down and he is going to judge all the nations. So, when, so um, it continues on. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun, the moon will be darkened, the stars no longer shine, the Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. Uh, notice this, that, that statement. Um, Amos begins with that same, same one. It's, it's a, you find it a lot in the prophets. That statement or similar to it. The Lord will roar from Zion, thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. So hold on. God will roar forth from Jerusalem, figuratively speaking. Have hope. Have fill your yourself with joy for all that you suffered for has come to fruition. And God is going to now take care of you and bless you. Yes? Can you see a correlation between that and today? Yes. I'm waiting for God to, to roar, you know. <laughs> Every day. I, I wonder... I, as, as I look at things going on in the world around me, I wonder, Lord, is it time? When we, when, when, but it's in the Lord's hands, in the God's hands, actually, in the Father's hands. Because even yeah, Jesus didn't God know. See it. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm guessing there are a lot of people in Egypt that couldn't wait to be free, and they were there 400 years, they were 400 years. Yeah. And so some were born, lived, and died, and never saw it. But, but the hope was still there. But the hope is there. That's tough, man. And and it is. It's it's difficult when, uh, when when standing for God is causing you uh, the world to uh, bring punishment and pain on you. And it's hard to remember that yeah, there will be a time. It's like the martyrs around the throne in Revelation. Lord, is it time yet? And I say that I, I, as I look at everything around me going on, I say, well, Lord, is it time yet? Have they, has, has, the, has sin grown to the point where uh, you're ready to, uh, to reap? Of course, I, I also have to say that in the time of Rome, uh, 
the sins we have going on right now are pretty pretty simple, pretty light, pretty easy. You know, there it was uh, it was even worse. So so maybe it can get maybe it can and will get worse. I don't know. Joel gives us the answer in that first verse. It says that multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And what he's saying is, is the Lord will make the decision. Yeah. It's not us. So yeah. we, we, we may think it's happening, but it, it's God's decision. Even Jesus said, only God knows. There are, and I'll throw in a plug for Ken, there are millennial movements. And there are as many as you can as as you can count on the people in this world that are looking at yeah that day is the day i can prove it to you i'll show you and it's they've come and gone hundreds of them thousands of them uh from the time of rome all well, actually probably too earlier than that in, in judaistic uh millennium millennialism but millennialism is a popular thing uh, uh, the the concept of bringing in the millennial millennium, for instance, was the whole Second Reich in Germany, communism in Russia, is to bring in this great Eden without God. God's the one that will bring in the millennium, not us, no one else, and it's God's choice and when He's going to do it. This chapter finishes up, as do most prophets, with, with hope for the future and blessing. And that, I think if we were to look at Joel more than anything else, it's stick with God. He loves you, by the way, and he's compassionate. and He doesn't want you to suffer, but he does want you to obey. And... They end with blessings. God pouring his blessings upon his people. Starting the 17th verse. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of acacias. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a desert of waste, a desert waste, because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. So that finishes Joel with a with the, the normal um, blessings that God is going to pour out on His people. And so, what we need to look forward to as ourselves, because reading this. Once we get into this time of judgment, go back to verse 32 of chapter 2. Uh, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. As long as we're on the Lord's side, we're going to be saved and we will, we will receive these blessings that God is showing his people. Um, any other questions before we, we close up? Richard. So I was thinking about the song, you never mention him to me. So instead of singing God, it'd be like more like Abraham. Uh, just hold on. <laughs> just find a few more. Give us some more time to tell more people about the good news. Yeah. That's the attitude we should have. Well, we should. That's The attitude we should have is always to spread the good news that, that uh, of Christ. And um, But I don't know if that's going to hasten the day of of the Lord, uh, that that by the way, you know, in the eighteen hundreds was was the whole thought that if we were to try to if we were able to reach out to everyone and convert all those, then the day of the Lord would come. Uh, I think that's a misinterpretation of Scripture, but uh, it was very it was a common interpretation. And in that was that was actually at our that's that's Alexander the Church of Christ. He had the millennial harbinger was his yep. document, and his whole idea. I mean, if we can restore the church, we'll usher in the millennium. That was that was what was driving that Great Awakening. Yeah, and Richard said it was really really important because there in Rome, what you were quoting about <clears throat> the Israel and Judah. Mm -hmm. The next chapter talks about everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. See. That's reverend back to Joel. And that's an evangelistic passage. Therefore, mm -hmm. because of that, we have the good feet to need to get out there and share the good news because there is a day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment. And our objective is to get the life of Jesus out there. So that's great. Richard made a really biblical comment. There. <laughs> wow. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> But the day of the Lord will come. It's been foretold by Jesus, by Joel, by most prophets. There will be a final day of the Lord. That final one where the final judgment comes. Uh, and uh, we will we'll then uh, have to figure out at that time what on earth revelation means. Because uh, we'll be living in it. And I'll put a, put a plug out once again to Ken's class on the millennium because I'm thinking we're we're starting to get to the the uh, 18th, 19th, 20th century views of millennialism. Week after next. Week after next. <clears throat> well, and it's an interesting class and very and a very good one. Uh, next week. And if there are any other questions, yes. Right. I could add what I talked to you about last week. I think there's a connection to what happened on Pentecost to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel when God was so disgusted with the nations that he confused their language and sent them out to the world but at Pentecost he brings the nations back and what was the miracle at Babel he confused their language at, at Pentecost he unconfused their language a word and they yeah. all understood one language they under all could understand what was being said um, so yes that 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 is a and a good way to look at it two things and you know when 
but uh, we'll next week we'll be starting on Nahum. Now I, I chose Nahum for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, Joel and Hosea almost flow into one another in uh, in their language and in their and in what their message is uh, of 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 God's redemption. But um, when we get Nahum, uh, it I'm going to look at it more from a historical standpoint, and I encourage you to read. Uh, now I'll find it in Second uh, Kings. I encourage you to read Second Kings, the story of Hezekiah after the fall of of Samaria, about ten or twelve years later. Um, starting about the 18th chapter of, uh, of Second Kings, they then uh, took about 10 years and then they turned to Jerusalem or turned to Judah. And they destroyed all their, their uh, fortified cities. And they came and they came to Jerusalem, stood in front of the walls, and the messenger of Shennacherib, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's close enough anyway. <coughs> threatening Judah and telling him, hey, just open your doors, give up, and uh, we'll, and we'll deport you. One good one thing to remember, part of the conditions was, we'll, we'll treat you nice, we'll give you food, we'll take care of you, but we're going to take you and move you someplace else. Um, but he, but the, in making the... Uh, in making this statement, he blasphemes God, the messenger of Sennacherib. He blasphemes God, saying, you think your God's going to save you? Do you think he's any better than any of the other gods of the, of the towns that we've been in? Is he going to save you? Well, we'll find out in Nahum what God has to, what God has to say about this and what God has to say about, about this... Uh, blasphemy and and what he's going to do about it. So next week, not Jerusalem, but Nahum. See you then. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.